Um, Lois Kahn, this is the mother of uh, Rick Kahn, is in the hospice house here in Jonesboro. Uh, please keep your prayers up for her. She's in those final moments or days of her life, and they ask for prayers for comfort um, for her. So if you would, please do that. And we're going we're gonna to pause and do that and honor that right now, if you'll pray with me. Father, we are so grateful that we can come before you and know that the joy of being in fellowship is a rich blessing to our lives and it gives us encouragement, but it also helps us to share the burdens of our heart. And we pray now for uh, Rick and Lee and, and what they're experiencing now. And we pray that you be with Lois and that you bless her. We always hold out hope and prayer, Father, that, that there'll be healing. But in these situations, often we pray, most importantly, for comfort and encouragement. And we pray for that family. We pray for Lois. We pray for those who are tending to her and the great work that's done there. And Father, we just pray that your presence is felt by all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So a couple came up to me and thought this was uh, the wrong title that LaVon put in the bulletin, but you're going to notice on the screen it's not the wrong title. It's exactly the title that we gave it. I'm, I'm going to play this little game of like, uh, family feud. I'm going to say a word or a phrase, and you say the word that's supposed to come after this, and we're going to see if you get the top four answers on the board. You ready? So here's the question. You don't have to hit a buzzer. You just, you know, say, uh, designated. Is that the first one? That's the first one. You guys are brilliant. Early service was good, too, even though they were a little lagging in time. Designated driver. You know what this person does? Uh, there's people who are going to an inappropriate party, and doing inappropriate things in inappropriate parties. But you, as a Christian, say, you know what? I'm not going to participate, but I will help you uh, to drive home safely. This is a person set aside to help the person who should have to drive home get home. It is a designated driver. Okay, anybody have a, another answer? Designated hitter. That's number two. Boy, you guys are good. Designated, for those of you who are into real baseball, National League, you don't know what this is. But for those of you who, that minor league stuff, of American league stuff, what they do is they don't want any weak spots in the lineup, so that pitcher who spends all his time perfecting his craft of pitching doesn't hit. When it comes to his time in the lineup, they put a designated hitter in who hits for the pitcher. He is a substitute to hit on his behalf. Now, there's another sports image on this. You can try this. This is more for your... Your, uh, you know, your league softball games. Designated runner. That's the next one. Uh, this is a person, you know, the person batting is so old that he can hit, but he can't run. So somebody runs for him. So let me put this in a sentence for you. Terry Smith takes too long now to get to first base. So he has a designated runner when he hits. He can still barely get the softball over the first baseman's head for a single. But Cameron Campbell now is his designated runner. How about that? Now, for those of you who are TV people, you might get the fourth one. Anybody get the designated survivor? Okay, so this is the guy 
who if something happens to the president and he's knocked out of commission, he's the guy who steps in and takes the role, the designated survivor. That's really more of a TV show than a reality, although I think that really is legit. But it's one person who's allowed to take the place of another person for a particular purpose. And this morning I'm asking you, do you have a designated drinker? That's weird. You're going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. So we're going to go back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 25. Before we read this, let me tell you what it says because the history sometimes gets in the way. Jeremiah has been preaching for 23 years and his message is the same. You guys need to make changes. You're not putting God first. You're, you're worshiping other gods and you're not uh, honoring God with your life. You guys need to change or something bad's going to happen. He's been preaching it for 23 years. And now the time has come where God says, I'm not going to, my patience is done. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring my servant to attack you. His servant is Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar, as Jeremiah 25 opens up, Nebuchadnezzar has just taken the throne of Babylon. And God says, my servant is on the throne. I'm about to bring him in there and bring punishment upon you. And what God is going to say is, I want you to cooperate with captivity. If you're my people and you want to stay my people, you will voluntarily go into captivity with the Babylonians. If you insist on staying in Jerusalem and fighting, I'm going to kill you. If you insist on running to Egypt, you are not my people. I'm going to disown you. I want captivity for you because you've not listened to me for all these years and all these prophets I've sent. And my patience has run dry. It is time for you to go into captivity and to be purged. But 70 years later, I'll bring you back out. That's the message of Jeremiah 25. But then, and I'm going to signal this, he turns around and he talks about it from God's spiritual point of view. And he mentions the word cup. And what I want you to do is I want you to listen for the answer to this question. What does God mean by the cup? I want you to think about that. So you with me? Jeremiah chapter 25, beginning verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken it persistently to you, but you have not listened. You've neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, Although the Lord persistently sent to you all the servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given you, from the fathers, from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods and serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I won't do you any harm. But you have not listened, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. You just refused to listen to what my servant said, is what he's saying. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you've not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for you for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord. All of them. And for Nebuchadnezzar, 
the king of Babylon. I'm sending the northern people, that's the Babylonians, my servant. Notice he calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant. I'll bring them against this land and its inhabitants and all against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction. I will make them a horror, a hissing, an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of a bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the grinding of millstones and the light of the lamp. In other words, normal life will cease. There'll be no more Thanksgivings. There'll be no more turkey. There'll be no marriages. There'll be no births. I'm going to destroy you. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And after the 70 years are completed, I will then punish the king of Babylon and bring them all back out. Now turn to verse 15. Now he says the same thing from God's point of view. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to me. Take, this talking to Jeremiah, this is not what he's preaching. Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath. Make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse as at this day. And he goes through all the nations that he sends this cup to. Jeremiah, God says, I want you to take this cup and I want you to make them drink it. And when they drink it, they will be in destruction and despair. I want you to make them drink the cup of my wrath. What is the cup? It's an image God uses, but it's a reality too. It is liquidated sin. It's all the sin and the transgression and the rebellion of humanity against God. And God puts it in liquid form and he fills this cup with it. And he, he's patient with us. He's wanting to change us. He's wanting to give us time to repent and turn away from it. But when we don't, and when that cup reaches its full and there's nothing else that can go in it because our sin has filled it so completely, God says, then you're going to have to drink it. You're going to have to drink my wrath full force. And it's going to make you stagger. It's going to burn your insides. It's going to destroy you. But you won't die. You'll just feel like you want to even though you can it's the wrath of God now in case you miss that look at Isaiah he says the same thing wake yourself wake yourself stand up O Jerusalem for you have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath and have drunk to the dregs right to the very end the last the last drop the bowl the cup of staggering and there's some more on that verse 22 and 23 Israel Judah you've drunk it the cup of my wrath for 70 years, and I'm about to bring you out. Now, you might think that's an Old Testament image. You think, well, that's so Old Testament, right? That's so yesterday. Drinking the cup of God's wrath, that full concentration of God's anger and, and disappointment and, and, and frustration from human sin. You might think that that's something uh, that, that is so Old Testament and so Old Testament prophets that means nothing to us. It contains the wrath of God for sin, and everyone who contributes to the cup will have to drink from it. But God's patient, and he's preached, and he's waited, and he's sent prophets, and he's sent people who proclaim the truth to give people a chance to respond and not any longer have to drink it, not have to worry about that appointment that's ahead. But his patience won't go forever, and sometimes it will end, and you will have to drink. I asked you before, do you have a designated drinker? That'd be nice. Let's go forward to the book of Revelation. This is more future now, right? 
Revelation chapter 14. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth and every nation and tribe and language and people. And, the, and he said with a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and to worship him and who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. I'm sending messages. I want you to honor God. Next slide. Another angel, the second followed, right? Saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. This is Rome, really. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third. Another angel, a third followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented, tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. It says the same thing in Revelation chapter 17. This is not an Old Testament thing. This is a principle built into the universe that God puts up with human sin so long. He is patient. He's long-suffering, and he will bear with it for a little while. But don't, 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 don't fool yourself. All the while that you're doing this, it's liquidated, put in liquid form, and put into the cup of God's wrath. And eventually, when his patience is over and the cup is full, he says, you've got to drink it. And it's awful, it's a staggering, it's painful, and it is the full concentration of God's wrath against sin. That's not just Old Testament, that's in the future. That's what we're living right now. It's where God is leading everything. It's an awful image, really. That cup is full of God's wrath for sin, that every person and nation is committed and yet even now, he's sending that gospel out, as we just read a moment ago, that gospel out to help people avoid it. But you know what? Eventually, if people don't respond to it, that cup has to be drunk. And it's an awful experience. Now what I'd ask you to do is turn to Matthew chapter 26. This is a passage that you're familiar with. We read it just a few weeks ago. And you're familiar with it because we've read it over and over again. It's part of our hope, right? Matthew chapter 26, beginning verse 36. Keep in mind what we're saying about this cup. That's not just Old Testament. It's also in the future for us. Then Jesus, verse 36 of Matthew 26. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed, very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. Came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Could you not keep watch for me with, with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you not fall into temptation. The spirit I know is willing, the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this not, cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He went and found them sleeping, came back and prayed a third time, just exactly the same way. What in the world is the cup? What's Jesus talking about? So many people have thought like Matthew chapter 20 where it's the cup of suffering and, and the disciples, Jesus says to the disciples, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they said, we will. And he says, you definitely will. It's not that cup. This is not just the cup of suffering. 
Jesus is agonizing in the garden, staring down into the cup of the wrath of God, knowing full well what that looks like, having seen it in history, knows what it is, but he's never contributed one drop to that. He's never sinned in any way deserving to drink it, but he's staring down into it, knowing exactly what it's going to cost him. We're not talking about just physical suffering. That would be easy compared to what this cup contains. This cup contains the wrath of God for all sin of all time. We're talking not just a physical suffering on the cross, although it led to that. We're talking something spiritual that Jesus has never experienced before. He may have witnessed certain signs of it in history, but he's never seen it. He's staring down to the contents of this cup, and he says, Father, I do not want to drink that. Is there some other way? And God says no three times. This hesitation is not because he's worried about a nail going in his wrist. This hesitation is because it's so much more than that physical misery. It is a spiritual separation from his father. He's never experienced, and he thinks it's the worst nightmare a person could experience, and it is. He does not want to drink it. All the sins of humanity, without any spilling over, without any evaporating, go into that cup. Can there be any other way? And God tells him, no, I... I wonder if you have a designated drinker because you're going to wish you had if you don't. He goes forward from there, drinks that cup to the dregs, as he says in Scripture. We see the cross as part of it. There's lots of it we don't see. What, are the, what is the full import and the full spiritual result of Jesus having to take on the sins of the world? He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. But remember... As bad as this is, God is giving you time and he's sending you his word and his gospel so that you can avoid this fate. This is an appointment you do not have to keep. You do not have to look into that cup yourself. You do not have to drink it. You can thank God for that. Before this scene in the garden, just a few verses up in Matthew 26, Jesus has this meal with the disciples. And he takes the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you, right? Because his body breaks, the blood sheds forth. And then he gets, passes around a cup and he says, this cup is the cup of my blood of the covenant. I want you to drink it. They will never have to drink the cup of the wrath of God because they get to drink the cup of the covenant, which is a changed content. Jesus says, I'm drinking the cup of wrath and I'm putting my blood in this cup and I want you to remember this because this is what gives you the covenant, the peace treaty you make with God. You will never have to face the wrath of God because I'm drinking it for you. I'm taking that drink and I'm taking those swigs and I'm drinking it to the dregs and I'm taking the full brunt and the full force of sin so that you never have to and I want you in response to take the cup of the covenant and I want you to drink it as a testament to the world, you're going to drink one or the other. You're going to drink the cup of the covenant or you're going to drink the cup of God's wrath. One of those you will drink. And I want to know, do you have a designated drinker? And a chance in a moment, for those of you who are in Christ, to remember that you'll never have to drink that cup of wrath. 
you do have a designated drinker, one who drank it for you even though you should have had to. And he takes it for you and then turns around and gives you a covenant, a covenant of peace with God where you're one with him without, without having to drink that terrible, awful experience that Jesus did. I'm saying to you, you're going to drink one or the other. Either you insist on going into eternity, drinking the cup of God's wrath, or you accept the offer of Jesus to be your designated drinker and drink that cup of the covenant. Do you have a designated drinker? I'm going to ask our servers to come forward now as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper together. If you would come up together at this table. We are now going to remember the broken body of Jesus that allowed his blood to come out. For those of you who are able to drink it and eat of it, remember and be grateful that there's someone who did this in your stead. The bread you break off, it's the body of Jesus broken for you, producing that blood. And that cup that you drink, it's fruit of the vine, which we know is, is of the grape. And it has this weird combination of flavor to it. It has a bitterness to it, but it also has a sweetness to it, and it's totally appropriate for that. It's the bitterness of what Jesus endured, but the sweetness that we get from having that peace restored. For those of you who are not able to partake, that's anyone who's never designated Jesus to take their place. You don't partake. It doesn't mean to you what it means to us. But as it goes around, I want you to know something. And I want you to remember something, and I want it to be proclaimed loudly, not in words, but in action. For those of us who are saved people of God, it's not because of any good we've done. It's not because of some amazing life we've lived. It's because we take this and we accept Jesus' offer to be our designated drinker. That's why we stand in a right standing with God. And if you've not done that, there is a cup appointed for you to drink in eternity. It's called the cup of God's wrath. This morning, if you're a believer, you get to gratefully partake. If you're not a believer, you get to look forward to something that's awful. I don't mean to scare you, or maybe I do, because it is scary. It's an awful experience to stand there without a Savior. It's an awful experience to stand there without a designated person to absorb that for you. And the shame of it all will be this. He was always there willing, just refused to take. This morning as the tray goes around, as the unleavened bread goes around first, think of the body. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as people who are helpless beggars, who are in a position where we we can do nothing about our lost estate. We know the appointment that was designated for us that we were going to face the wrath of God head on and experience an eternity apart from you because of it. But enter the scene was a person who was willing to take our place. He was willing to have his body broken for us on that cross and before through the whips and the crown of thorns. We're thankful for that designated person who took our place. And Father, we're grateful that you offered. We're delighted to accept. And today, we're not making a sacrifice so much as we're remembering one. 
and then devoting our lives to being one as well. As we partake, Father, as we break off this unleavened bread, as we put it in our mouths, may we have an understanding of what was done for us and know what we deserved. And may it be something we experience fully. Help us to think this very carefully and to appreciate it as it makes its place next to us and across from us. And Father, for those who might be here who've never designated Jesus as their Savior, I pray that this becomes a moment when it's proclaimed very powerfully in action and that it's understood and heard. Father, be with us. May this be something that pleases you and blesses us. We pray in Jesus' name.